Well, good morning, Antioch campus. It is so good to see you again. It's, it's been a while. Uh, and <laughs> you know, the past year has been a little wild. Uh, being the campus pastor at, at Ridgeview now, I, I'm still kind of getting used to saying that. Um, but man, God has been so good and faithful to my family. I, I wear these nice jackets now. Um, and my shoes are nicer. No, <laughs> things change, man. But I just, I really appreciate you guys praying for my family. The people at Ridgeview are just fantastic. Um, people keep asking me, how is it? How is it? And, and Amber and I, we just, we go home on Sundays and say, you know what? We just feel like this is home. We really do. We love Antioch, but Ridgeview is our home. And God has been so good in doing that. And I want to encourage you to continue praying for Ridgeview and Olathe. God has given me a great burden for Olathe. That is our city, and as the Ridgeview campus, we want to see the lost reached. We want to see the gospel multiply in the lake. So please pray for us as you think about our campus or drive by. God is doing some great things, and I'm just grateful to be a part. And I'm grateful to be here with you this morning. So let me invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. I've got a question for you this morning. What will heaven be like? I want you to think about that. In fact, I want you to take a moment. I want you to picture it in your mind. What comes to your mind when you say heaven? What does it look like? Maybe your mind goes to clouds and angels playing harps. Maybe you think about the streets of gold and the, the mansions of glory. Maybe you think about your loved ones who you lost who are going to be there. Or maybe you think about Jesus or God on his throne. You know, there are a lot of different thoughts out there about heaven and in our culture especially. And one of the places you see this kind of diversity of opinion is in music. Yeah, so as I prepared for this sermon, I, I decided I was going to do some really intense study and research. I got in my truck one day. And I pulled out my phone. I got on my Spotify app, plugged it into the system. I searched in the search bar the word heaven, and I hit play. And let me tell you, I learned a lot about heaven. Apparently, and this is, this is crazy, you're not going to believe this, apparently there is a stairway to heaven. Yeah. Which is totally unnecessary because heaven is a place on earth. Yeah. And uh, there's this guy who is knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, and he's been knocking a long time. Uh, as he says, Dow, wow, that's a terrible impression, but it's gotten better the third service. But I, uh, I heard some other really popular songs like Tears in Heaven, Locked Out of Heaven, it's pretty scary, uh, and about a hundred other songs with just the title Heaven. And then I got into the country music category. And uh, I grew up not far from Nashville, from Music City, so I, I like a little bit of country. And, you know, country has some spiritual parts to it. It's not all just taking your baby on the back road in the tractor, okay? There are some spiritual elements, and you got a good one like Go Rest High on That Mountain. Good song. But you got some more interesting ones uh, like this one. It's called If Heaven Ain't a Lot Like Dixie by Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> and finally, my personal favorite by Kenny Chesney song called, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Want to Go Now. Yeah. And uh, we laugh at that song, but you know, I kind of appreciate Mr. Chesney's honesty. Because I think if a lot of us this morning were honest, if a lot of people in the world were honest, they might agree. Everybody wants to go to heaven when they die. 
but only after living a nice, long life, right? Like, I think for a lot of people deep down, the reason we don't want heaven right now is because we think it sounds kind of boring. That was me as a kid. I thought heaven was going to be one big, long church service where you just sang every verse of Amazing Grace over and over and over again. And no offense to Pastor John, I love worship, I love singing with our church, but where I grew up, you did three verses, three verses of a hymn, and that was it, okay, you're done. So here's the question, what will heaven be like? Will it be boring? Will it be a big, long church service? Will you have to knock to get in? Well, this morning we're going to find out, we're going to look at the hope of heaven, and that hope is laid out very clearly for us at the end of Revelation. Yes, I said the end of Revelation. Can I get an amen? I am not going to lie. I'm a little relieved to be nearing the finish line. And don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed preaching this. I've enjoyed learning. But man, there are days I like come home from work. And my wife's like, how was work? I'm like, beast with seven heads. And I don't know what's going on. It's just, it hurts my head sometimes. And I, I think I've had my fill of judgment and persecution. But, but, but let's remember why we've seen all that difficult stuff in this book. Think back to the context of the letter. This is a revelation from Jesus through John, two first century churches that were facing some challenging circumstances. They were facing persecution from a Roman empire. They were facing temptation to compromise from their culture. And right in the midst of that, John receives these visions of what's to come. He sees God bringing judgment on his enemies in the the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And I'm always careful with that word bowls because there was one week I accidentally wrote in my manuscript the seven seals, trumpets, and the seven bowels. Not the same thing. So (laughs) that was embarrassing. He, He sees Satan attacking the church through the Antichrist. He sees the church kind of persevering and being protected. And most importantly... He sees God in control of everything. And you'll remember, that's kind of the central message of the whole book. It's it's fear not. Jesus is on his throne. This book is meant to encourage us to keep going. And there is perhaps nothing more encouraging than what we're going to read today. After all we've seen, all the beasts, this is the big one. It's the grand finale. It's our great hope. It's the hope of heaven. So let's just walk straight through this passage, and then we're going to close with three ways we see this hope. But look with me now at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In this final vision, John sees a new heaven and a new earth taking place of the old heaven and old earth. Well, what happened? What, why, what is this new heaven, new earth? What happened to the first ones? Well, it's clear from this verse and others throughout the Bible that at the very end, after Christ returns, after the great judgment, God is going to restore his creation. It is not that he's going to completely scrap this planet and make a totally new one. No, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, this is good. But what God's going to do is restoration. Think about taking an old beat-up car or an old antique piece of furniture. To restore that chair or car would be to bring it back to its original beauty. And that's what we see here. God is removing the curse of sin. He's wiping the slate clean, restoring his creation. And now we have a new heaven and a new earth. It's even better than the first. Why is it better? Well, for one reason, there's no more sea. What's up with that? No ocean views in heaven? No surfing? Come on. Well, remember that in ancient thought, the sea was a source of evil. Remember the beast in Revelation 13? He comes up out of the sea. So this tells us that in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more evil. No one else, nothing else is coming up out of that sea because there is no sea. There isn't even the possibility of sin and evil. Then John looks and he sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. It's this beautiful city we're going to look at here in just a second. And God says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And man, this is the key right here. Because this tells us that this is the place where we will be with God forever. What John is seeing is the hope of heaven. And it's important for us to understand that the new Jerusalem is somewhat different from what heaven is now. The Bible says that when a Christian dies now, they go immediately to be in the presence of God in heaven. Remember Jesus told the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he said to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. So this is not purgatory where we have to be purged of our sin in order to get into heaven. No, all who die knowing Christ go to be with Christ. But as I just quoted, heaven now is to be absent from the body. A dead Christian's soul goes to heaven when they die, but their body stays in the ground. But in the new Jerusalem, it's different. Our souls will be joined back with our resurrected, restored bodies, and heaven and earth will become one, and we will live in this renewed creation forever. So our hope is bigger than just dying and floating off to heaven. No, our hope is resurrection. It's bodily resurrection, and we look ultimately to that day when God makes all things new, including us. Part of this newness is that there's no crying, no pain, no, no mourning, no death. God says, all oh, that's done. Sin and evil, it's all gone. And that includes those who have committed those evil acts. Look at verse 8. 
God lists off all the people who will not experience this hope. He says not everyone will be in heaven. Murderers, idolaters, even liars won't make it. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, hang on, that's me. If that's the standard, I won't make it. I have lied, lusted, hated, and don't even get me started on being cowardly. So what does this mean for me? How can I have any hope of heaven? We're going to get there in a bit. But God tells us these people, which again includes me, don't end up in heaven, but they end up in hell, which is the second death. Let's keep going in this chapter as John sees the new Jerusalem up close and personal. It's a little lengthy section, but hang with me in verse 9 of 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jassing, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass." And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. John is attempting here to describe the indescribable. And man, there's so much great detail here. We don't have time to get into it all. But for one, it's clear that this city is beautiful. It has the glory of God itself, and, and there's so many details to speak of this beauty. The, the, the foundations are covered with every kind of jewel. The gates are made of a single pearl each. The streets are gold. And people really love to kind of press these details and figure, oh, what does this mean? And what might this mean? But I think what we're meant to do is just to step back and say, man, look at how awesome this is. There's nothing. We've never seen anything like this. 
Next thing to notice, there are 12 gates with the 12 tribes of Israel written on them. And then the 12 foundations have the 12 apostles written on them. This tells us that the New Jerusalem is a place for all of God's people. It's Old Testament Israel and New Testament church, the final full fulfillment being joined together as the people of God. Next, notice the measurements of the city. John sees an angel measuring the the height, the width, and the length, and they're all equal. So it's this perfect cube. What's up with that? Well, remember, there's something else in the Bible that's a perfect cube overlaid with gold. It's a place called the Holy of Holies. It's that innermost room in the temple, in the tabernacle, where God's presence dwelled. It was so holy, so sacred, that only one person could enter on one day of the year, and any other time you'd be put to death. And now, rather than a small room for one person on one day of the year for God's presence, we have an entire city. And it's a huge city. It's 12,000 stadia each way, which is about 1,400 miles. And as we've learned through our study in Revelation, numbers typically have a symbolic meaning. So the point here is not to measure the exact size and figure out where it fits or how many people we can get in there. Rather, this is a picture of God's kingdom filling the whole earth, his glory covering all of his new creation. This is a number of completeness. Next, notice that there's no temple in this city. God and the Lamb are there in their fullness. We don't have to go to a place for worship or do these sacrifices or do these rituals or make sure we follow these certain steps. No, everything we do, everywhere we go, will be worship. And lastly, notice here in verse 27 again that it tells us heaven is not a place for everyone. Nothing unclean will ever enter it or anyone who does what is detestable. And again, that's me. I'm not clean. I'm a sinner. I've sinned in so many ways. And the only way I can make it is to have my names in the Lamb's Book of Life. How can I get my name in that book? Again, we'll come back to that. But look with me at this last section, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. John then sees in the city a river of the water of life. And then there's the the tree of life. Where have we seen that before? Well, that takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter two in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve could eat of the tree of life and that's how they lived with God forever. So what we're seeing here at the end is a return to the beginning. This is restoration, it's God restoring all things back to his original good design. It's so amazing, Genesis all the way to Revelation. 66 books and yet one story of God bringing his people to his place forever. 
This is the hope of heaven. It's the hope of restoration. And I, and I want to end by giving you quickly three ways that we're restored. And then we'll be done. Here's the first way. The hope of heaven is being restored to God's presence. One of the sad realities is that when many people, including many Christians, picture heaven, when they think about heaven, they, they think about a lot of great things except what heaven is really about. Heaven will have many amazing things, streets of gold and our loved ones in this river and this tree, but what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. I mean, that's what it's about. Heaven is about being with Jesus. John Piper has a great quote about this. He says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Heaven is about being in the presence of Jesus forever. And that's what we see all throughout these chapters. Revelation 21.3, God will dwell with his people. Verse 22, there's no temple because God himself is there. 22.4, we will see his face. I mean, like, do you understand how significant this is? Do you understand that this is what you were made for, to, to live and be in the presence of God, to be with him? He created you for that. And this is kind of the theme of the whole Bible. Think about it. God creates the world in Genesis so he can be with his people. But sin separates us from God. So then he designs this, this tabernacle, this tent that the Israelites would have to carry around and elaborately set up to also God can be with his people but protect them from his holiness. He told Moses, he said, if you see my face, you will die. So God sends his own son, Jesus, God in flesh, a living tabernacle. His name's Emmanuel, God with us. And those who were with Jesus were with God. He, he was the tabernacle. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside each of us. So we have God with us all the time. And we become little tabernacles walking around. And now in Revelation, we have the ultimate fulfillment of this. We are literally in the presence of God. We will see his face and we will not die. Our relationship with God will be perfect. There's no more sin to keep us from his presence. No more guilt. No more being hounded by our past mistakes. No more feeling distant from God. No more praying and wondering if he's there. No more doubting our salvation. No more feeling like we're just not good enough. No more. Revelation 21 tells us the benefits of being in God's presence. There's perfect joy and perfect peace, but there's also relief from all these things that plague us in this life. It says he will wipe away our tears. He won't just pass us a Kleenex and say, hey, clean yourself up. No, he himself will wipe your face because there will be no more reason to be sad. Think about it. No more migraines, no more chronic pain, no more chemo, 
No more memory care clinics. No more caskets. No more widows. No more depression and anxiety. No more miscarriage. No more. Because we'll be restored to God's presence. But this hope is not just future. It's not just like this one day out there kind of hope. No, when the Bible talks about hope, it calls it a living hope. We have this hope now. We have God's presence now through the Holy Spirit. And even though our sin still creates distance, the veil is torn. We have access to go to the throne of grace now. We're restored to God's presence. Here's the second way we're restored. The hope of heaven is being restored as God's people. Another key theme we see all throughout the Bible is God making a people for himself. He told Adam and Eve in the beginning to be fruitful and multiply and and fill the earth. He told Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and he built and created a church of diverse people. And here at the end, we have the final fulfillment of this, of the people of God, people from every tribe, nation, and language gathered together to glorify and worship God. This means heaven will not be a personal, private experience. We're going to be there with people. And for you introverts, this is a little concerning. You know, I didn't realize I was an introvert until the COVID shutdown happened. And I was like, man, this is nice. Yeah. Like people just people kind of wear me out. Like when I get home today, I will crash. I'll take a nap because you, you people make me tired. I love you, but it's, it's just, yeah. But in heaven, our, our relationships with one another will be perfect. I mean, think about this. There's no more gossip, no more jealousy, no more earning approval, no more trying to fit in, no more people-pleasing, no more loneliness, no more abuse, no more broken families, no more church splits, no more. And as we said, this too is a present hope. We are God's people now. And even though we still have our flaws and struggles, Lord knows I do, we're called to live as God's restored people now. And that should be true of our church. Whenever we meet, we should be a picture of heaven now. Here's the last way we're restored. Number three, the hope of heaven is being restored to God's purpose. If you have ever wondered what your purpose in life is, why God puts you where he has you, why God's put you through the things he has, why God made you the way he did, why he wired you the way he did. This is it. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what Adam and Eve did before the fall, and that's what we will do in heaven. And notice, this is not floating on clouds and playing harps. I can't play the harp. This is not a big, long church service that we're going to sing. No, this is a renewed civilization and a renewed city. It's so much bigger than we can imagine. And all the things we enjoy and that we do on earth, they're going to be restored. We won't be sitting around. This won't be an eternal nap. That sounds nice sometimes. Things like work, art, music, athletics, family, friendship, hobbies, interests, all these things we enjoy doing, all of this will be redeemed and restored and will become a way to worship God. In everything. This means heaven will not be boring. It's impossible. 
Just think of the joy you experience when you do what you love most. Everything in heaven will be infinitely more enjoyable than that, and you won't ever get tired of it. Think of the satisfaction you feel when you finish a major project or you have that huge accomplishment and you're like, yes, I feel so satisfied in this. Listen, everything in heaven will be infinitely more satisfying than that. We will spend every moment of every day thinking, this is what I was made for. I want to do this forever. And here's the beauty of it. We will. This is the hope of heaven. So let me close by asking you, is this your hope? Is this where you place your life hope? Do you have the hope of heaven? I mentioned earlier that based on my record and and based on my long list of ways that I've rebelled against God in my life and based on what Revelation says, I won't make it to heaven. I'm a sinner. And as a result, I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. But here's why I have the hope of heaven. Here's why I have the audacity to tell you today that I will be in this city one day. You will see me there. It's for one reason. It's Jesus. It's not me. (laughs) It's not me. If it were up to me, I would never make it. It's Jesus. Jesus saved me. He took my place on the cross, taking God's judgment in his, in my place. But it's not just what he saved me from, it's also what he saved me for. He he saved me for a glorious future hope to be in his presence as his people for his purpose. Do you have the hope of heaven? And if you do, is this hope evident in your life? Would people look at your life and characterize you as a hopeful person? This hope is not just future. Like I got my plane ticket and I'm waiting on the ride. No, it's now. It's a living hope. We have God's presence now. We are God's people now. And we're called to live out his purpose now. So this is how the story ends. We got one more little section next week, but this is the last vision that John sees. This is the end. But here's the amazing thing we will find It's the best part. This ending is only just the beginning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.